If you never took Idaho to the national championship in NCAA 14, did you ever play NCAA 14? So <laughs> we are the tide from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating our rivals never gets old. Making our way to the big sky conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. Whoa, whoa. This is Tubbs at the club for the van. Idaho. Welcome back, Tribe from the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals. I am your host, Chris Hammond, and with me today, I have Brian Marceau. Hey guys, good to be back. And we have a special guest, the all-knowing SCS correspondent for Hero Sports, Sam Herter. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you so much for having me on your guys' show. Yeah, I'm trying to make you feel at home for those watching on YouTube. I've got my North Dakota State shirt on today because we're covering the FCS, which includes the reigning national champions. Um, This episode, like all episodes, are brought to you by Montucky Cold Snacks. Ain't nothing like cracking a Montucky Cold Snack, an ultra-refreshing light beer born in majestic big sky country. The best part is when you crack a snack, you're giving back. Montucky Cold Snacks donates 8% of all profits back to local causes, even right here in Idaho, supporting organizations like the CW Hogs and the Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw! That's freaking awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, the light American lager for pow pow rippers, gator wranglers, pony riders, and badass do gooders. Visit MontuckyColdSnacks.com today to find out how to get your ass some snacks. So, it's summer. I'm hot. Uh, no AC out here in Seattle. So let's just get right into around the bar and open up some taps. I'm going to start for those of you that follow us on Twitter and everything. I uh, just post Idaho is down two games. The Pac-12 has announced that they are going conference only, uh, as well as the Great Northwest Athletic Conference, which is the home to Western Oregon, which is our week one opponent this year. I just published a little blog post today, just kind of going over some fun little alternatives to um, what we could do, whether that's just leave week one and week three open uh, or try to find some scheduling. Uh, Obviously the reigning national champ, North Dakota state was impacted by this with the matchup against Oregon and a couple other FCS teams like NAU or at least big sky teams like NAU with Arizona state. Um, And it really leaves everything in a bit of a flux because we still don't know what's going to happen nationally. You could put someone on the books and they're going to go away. But um, I, I don't know. I'm curious on your guys' opinion. If, if you were Terry, Ga- <clears throat> excuse me, Terry Golick in this situation, um, Idaho's athletic director, do you try to fill these games? Because on her Cup of Joe conversation, which we'll kind of Brian and I will debrief after we have Sam on, she brought up basically saying no comment on whether they're exploring the option, which makes it seem to me that she has made calls and she just won't speak about who she has called. Um, Obviously, JMU is making a big push out of the CAA with the CAA saying it's up to individual members. So that's a school that's looking to fill 12 games or 11 games. But um, I don't know. If you were the AD, would you just wait and see how things go out, focus on what you have, or would you be focusing on trying to get 11 games, assuming we have FCS playoffs? It's going to be important. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, that's kind of the the tricky part is you, you want to make sure you have all your bases covered. Um, and I think you if you are the AD, I mean, for any of these schools, you should be looking or at least making phone calls um, and, you know, get maybe getting some contracts and stuff written up but nothing signed yet just because, I mean, you don't know if maybe the Big Sky decides to go conference only or regional only. Um, and, you know, that might, you know, if you're Idaho, you don't want to schedule, you know, maybe an area D2 team um, and say, yeah, we'll play you on this date. But also the big sky comes out and says, we're only going to play conference only. And then you have to go to that D2 team and say, yeah, sorry, unfortunately, we actually can't play you because of the because of the change of plans here. Uh, so that's kind of the, the dilemma a lot of these schools are facing right now. A lot of FCS schools right now are, are facing is just, you know, wh- what do we do? How do we attack this? Um, do we want to fill our schedule? Do we, you know, how hard do we want to look for games? You know, I know James, James Madison and North Dakota State, they're, they're being – pretty aggressive and trying to to try to play a full 11 games. It's just a matter of, you know, how far do you want to take that? Do you actually want to sign game contracts or, or not? That's that's the, the tough dilemma to decide if you're these FCS teams. Yeah, I floated around in my article, both North Dakota State, thanks to uh, Oregon, and North Dakota State in week three, thanks to NCANT, a little home and home with Idaho. That's an option. I don't recommend it for us. Uh, in terms of uh, trying to make a playoff push. But uh, I think it's going to be something creative like that. Idaho, something we're used to with when we had to play um, New New Mexico State twice in a year. But, uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on all this? You know, Idaho is in a weird position where due to the cancellation, we don't have a home game until I believe is the first or second week in October. It's not till October 10th. That we're October tenth against Portland State for homecoming with yeah. the uh, week one gone. Yep. Yeah, which gives us, in terms of scheduling, something which I don't know if a lot of fans will support me here. I hope we look to schedule a couple of away games because if we're going to have football in the fall, it's great for us to have that month of padding for things to, you know, fingers crossed, get better, or if things don't get better, to have time to adjust where the protocols are. It, uh, it was announced, you know, Terry Gallick announced, and it was covered by a handful of newspapers that, you know, we're going to have limited 5,100 fans for the games, mask requirements, stuff like that. And, you know, our university's already put in, we, we've actually been a regional leader in saying what we're, what football will look like provided we can play here. And I think, you know, man, having that month right now, as much as I'd rather have a five home game schedule, that month off just for insurance, I think, is is great for us. And I think from the financial standpoint, man, we got to look at I want a couple games. If we're going to play in the fall, I want as much of a rate of full season we can get. But uh, I think with some of the money we're losing, if we, we got to look at scheduling a couple of away games. Yeah. Um I mean, that, the impact of college uh, cancelizations is obvious because who knows if people are even going to be paying for away games. So is it worth trying to do something like I kind of joked about doing a home and home with another FCS team? That way you're not paying someone to come to you and you're not you're not going to get money to go somewhere else. But it seems like at least out west, you're not going to have those options like the Pac-12, possibly the Big 12 and the Big 10. So um, it's something to look at. Uh, Brian. Pick a tap. All right. So my this is kind of two at once, which is 
uh, which I think some of our listeners will know about this, but not all of our listeners will. Uh, we have five FCS con- FCS conference have announced that they are postponing their football season. That's the Ivy League, Patriot League, the SWAC, and the MEAC. The CAA is canceled, but it says its teams can schedule independently. JMU and Elon have both said they're going to attempt to schedule independently. JMU has also said if there's no if there's no championship that the season could build to, they might not be interested in the independent schedule. Uh, simultaneously, we had the the Power Five announcement that has wiped, you know, like our game against Washington State away. Um, both of those, you know, the FCS conferences canceling, particularly those who have auto bids to the playoffs is uh, pretty impactful for what might happen in the future, but power five games are a big deal too, in terms of the money from those programs, Sam, I'm curious from your end, what do you think is a bigger deal for, let's talk about the, the top three FCS conferences, uh, Missouri Valley, big sky, CAA, um, CAA is obviously a big one, but what do you think is more impactful FCS conferences with playoff auto bids canceling or the, guarantee games from some of the power five schools going away. Yeah. So I think right now the, the, as far as when you're comparing to the power five conferences that have canceled non-conference and to these, you know, these specific FCS conferences that have canceled their seasons. um, I I think the power five right now has played a, a bigger influence on things. Now, obviously the, the CAA canceling uh, their season or postponing their season. If you want to get technical, Um, you know, that, that, that was a huge domino to fall for the FCS, but I know, you know, in talking with some, uh, you know, some FCS conference uh, officials for the most part, you know, the the Ivy league does their own thing um, without, you know, they, they already do play less games than normal. They, they start their season later in in a normal year. They obviously don't play in the playoffs. Uh, So the Ivy league is kind of, in their own world when it comes to the FCS. The Patriot League operates a little bit like the Ivy League, so those two I wasn't really surprised uh, when they postponed their seasons. The same thing with the MAC, or excuse me, the MEAC and the, and the SWAC. Uh, they kind of do their own thing with the Celebration Bowl as well. So, I mean, when those four conferences canceled, um, you know, I don't know if, if it played a, a huge impact on the Big Sky and the Valley, but I do know you know, the Southland and the SOCOM, the Valley, the the Big Sky, the, the, the bigger conferences that are still playing, they're kind of following the lead of, of the FBS. Um, and, and they're kind of seeing what the FBS is doing and following that lead. So I think when the, when the you know, when the Big Ten announced that they're doing conference only, I think that kind of perked up the ears to the Valley. That's also in the Midwest, obviously, to say, all right, you know, they're going regional only. You know, this might be something that that we're going to have to do. So, um, you know, I think that the Power Five uh, canceling non-conference has been uh, really impactful uh, compared to, you know, compared to like the Ivy League uh, postponing their season. I don't think that really influences what the Big Sky or the Valley will do. Now, the CAA, on the other hand, that was a big domino to fall. Yeah, the CAA to me was very surprising Mm -hmm. just because they are so big and in terms of regional, even if one of two of their institutes, they're like the big sky in terms of like, even without a couple of institutes, they could play a rather healthy conference schedule. Um, and they're in an area that's got a lot of close proximity teams. So if you do, let's say the ACC did pull out, you have, you know, 
Conference USA, the Sun Belt, and teams kind of somewhere in that footprint, um, the AAC that you could pull from to schedule, including in the FCS. So I do agree with you that the CA making that decision and making it so soon seemed to be a really big kind of domino. Um, and it's just really thrown this whole conversation. Because when we first asked you to come on, right, we had a full top 25. We were going to break down who to look for. Uh, now we're going to, we're probably going to touch on the top 25 here shortly. And it's half the teams are missing. So um, it's, if, if football does happen in the fall, um, which I'm optimistic about, but that could just be me being a glass half full approach. Um, it's going to be weird anyways, because there's, there's so many teams. Like if JMU can schedule, that's great, but you're still going to miss teams like Delaware, um, like Towson. Like you have these teams that have been nationally relevant that don't seem to be bar partaking this year. And it's going to be interesting. Um, with, with that, um, I kind of want to start touching on the top 25. Um, I mean, you guys, Hero Sports, take pride in kind of being one of the first pulls out. Um, and you guys talk about how it's kind of a predictive. I mean, all polls are kind of a little bit of predictive with um, also taking effect scheduling. Because I know how you brought up, your guys just came out before the Thompson News, uh, transferring from Sac State. Um but you also mentioned how Sac State doesn't change that much in your mind because they have such an easy big sky schedule. But now looking at this, like NCANT is out. That's a top 20 team for most um, people, including you guys. Um, who do you kind of see? I mean, if you had to say some teams to kind of fill out the bottom half of the top 25 that might not have made your top 25 before, are there any teams you particularly think might make it? Yeah, so I, there's a couple that um, that I would slide up into our top 25. And how Brian and I did it is we both did our own uh, personal top 30s, I believe, and we gave each you know slot a point total. Then we combined the points and then formed the top 25 from there. So, I mean, like I had, you know, we got a lot of grief for not having Nichols in our top 25. I actually had Nichols number 14 in my poll, but I think Brian had them outside his top 25 somewhere. So point total wise, they, they dropped out of our top 25. Um, I also had Wofford uh, at my number 20 spots. Um, and they ultimately, I don't believe they made our top 25 either. Um, so those are two teams that I would probably slide in are, are Nichols and Wofford. Um, because I mean, you have to, like you said, you, there's some teams you, you have to take out just because they have canceled um, or postponed their season. I know we have, a, we had a couple of Ivy league teams uh, in there as well that you would, that you would bump out. So uh, yeah, that is the, another interesting part of of this season if there is games in the fall is you know is there going to be a normal top 25 poll uh during the fall and then do like a a, a, another top 25 during the spring for for those set of teams um i would imagine that that's what would happen if we did have a fall in the spring season i know craig haley's already joked about that and he has this like spring 2021 top five (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. We can already, uh, you know, start looking forward to the spring and have a way too early spring. You know, top yeah. five of teams we know for sure are playing in the spring. So before we dive kind of into the the tiers and who's really going to be a championship contender um, from the top twenty five, I want to kind of go back to world's functioning as normal kind of question for you. How annoyed do you get? Um, and your general stance. I mean, obviously, we all listen to the BMAC and heard sports podcast. Um, 
But yeah, and you guys talk about it. For some of our listeners who might not, like the FCS has the Ivy Leagues who do not participate in the playoffs, but consistently have two, possibly even three teams that are really good. Top 25 quality, sometimes one that might even be top 10. Um, and then you have your HBCUs that also participate in the Celebration Bowl. Um, so some people always argue that they shouldn't be ranked in top 25 pools. I know my personal stance on that has always been it. Wouldn't you prefer that if you're playing them, they count as an FCS win. You'd like to know where they rank within the FCS because the top 25 has no bearing on the playoffs. Just because you make, we see it all the time with like Eastern, what, three years ago. Even if you're in the top 25, doesn't mean you're going to make the playoffs. So I've never understood the anti-Ivy and HBCU in top 25 people, but I guess explain to people kind of what I might have missed and kind of your guys' thoughts on when people are super against it. Yeah, I mean, it is a – it's a, if you're if you're an FCS team, you, you should be voted for, you know, in the top 25. I think it's that plain and simple. It's not the, the top 25 playoff poll. It's the FCS top 25. Um, and I know, you know, there some have some weird grudge against the Ivy Leagues for, for not playing in the playoffs, and they, and they think because of that they don't deserve to be ranked in the top 25. But, I mean, if you look at the recruiting, uh, recruiting class rankings – I mean, Harvard and Princeton and Dartmouth are routinely bringing in, you know, top three, sometimes even number one recruiting classes in the FCS. Uh, you can look at the number of guys they send to the NFL um, and you can kind of look at that and say, all right, it's pretty high quality uh, football. And so they deserve to be ranked in the top 25, you know, where they land between eight and 16 or 16 and 25. That's, that's really hard to judge just because the Ivy league doesn't really play anyone in their non-conference. They'll play, they'll play like the Patriot league, which isn't, you know, a great measuring stick. I mean, it would be great for Princeton to play James Madison or, you know, Harvard to play North Dakota state, just to have a measuring stick um, games. We can really see how, you know, truly see how good they are, but uh, yeah, that is kind of the interesting part about the FCS is it's so widespread. And um, you know, my focus usually is, you know, how do things impact the playoff pitcher? Um, you know, that's kind of my national look on things is, you know, any, anything that's happening on a Saturday, what I'm paying attention to is stuff that's going to impact the playoff pitcher. But at the same time, the Ivy League, you know, does deserve some recognition. Uh, you know, the, the, the HBCUs, um, you know, they're, they deserve some recognition as well. And I think they fly under the radar, too, for casual FCS fans because they send a bunch of people. Uh, a bunch of players to the NFL and, and they have, um, you know, routinely have some of the highest attended games uh, in the FCS. Um, and so we want to make sure we're paying attention to those three leagues as well. And, you know, they're a part of the FCS, so they should be in the top 25 if we think they're good enough to be. So what would it take for you to ever put like a Ivy or HBCU at number one? Like would it have to be like they scheduled James Madison and North Dakota state and one? I know, I mean, to put it in an instance for the HBCU, how close was NCA and T was it 2018 where they actually beat Jacksonville state in week zero and actually were looking really good all the way up until about mid season when they got tripped up. Like have, has it, have they ever, has any team ever been close? And I mean, what would it ever take for like Princeton to be ranked number one, or is it even possible with them not actually being national championship, you know, quality qualifiers. Yeah, I, I don't think you would ever see, uh, you know, an HBCU team or an Ivy League team 
rise all the way up to number one unless they did beat uh, a North Dakota State or a James Madison. Now, like, I mean, if, if North Carolina A&T, you know, assuming, you know, let's just imagine things were normal this fall and North Carolina uh, A&T beat North Dakota States uh, in the Farber Dome, I mean, you would have to, and they beat them handily, you would probably raise them to being uh, number one in the polls. But, you know, I remember that 2018 year when, uh, North Carolina A&T, they did, they did beat Jacksonville State, and then I think they beat like East Carolina for an FBS team. And you know, someone had an article out that said, "Is North Carolina actually the is North Carolina A&T actually the best team in the FCS?" And I thought that was a, a bit of a stretch, just because East Carolina wasn't very good. You know, Jacksonville State ended up not making the playoffs that year. They didn't make it very far in, in the playoffs that year. So yeah, it would, it would take uh, uh, beating you know, an actual team that's ranked in, in the top five or maybe even number one for one of those teams to, to move up that high. Okay. Brian, break down these tiers in the top 25 for us. So from a numeric standpoint, it's pretty simple. Um, I think, but from like a performance standpoint, so Sam, I'm curious how you guys feel about this. I tend to not obsess over like who is ranked number one through five and just accept if you're top five, you're probably pretty good. And same with, let's say, 17 through 25. Uh, it means you're projected to be all right, but there's question marks. And while, while you know, some teams maybe should be 16 instead of 18 to me, it mostly just means I, I mostly understand this is elite, real good, pretty good. So starting with our bottom tier of the top 25, Sam, so let's say 17 or 18 through 25, are there any teams in particular? I'm just going to read also the Hero Sports top uh, 25 that's still left that's still available uh, 17 Eastern Washington uh, f- below them Florida A&M Citadel Southern Illinois Sam Houston possibly Albany and then you had said Nichols uh, in our earlier discussion in wow. that uh, Nichols and Wofford thank you um, of those handful of teams Sam which team would you be least surprised to see let's say finish top five or top 10 at the end of the season? I would probably go with uh, either Eastern Washington or Sam Houston States. Uh, You know, I feel like probably more so I would lean uh, Eastern Washington just because when they do have a a down year during the 2010s, they always seem to bounce back and make a run to the semifinals or make a run to the, to the national title game. So I would probably go with Eastern Washington for that one. I also keep your eye on Sam Houston States. Uh, you know, they may have fallen off the radar a little bit uh, just because they haven't, you know, been uh, that great in recent years. But a lot of people, when they think of Sam Houston State, they think of a team that's putting up 50 points a game and allowing 40 points a game. You know, really, really good offense, uh, not a very good defense. Last year was actually the opposite. Their defense was really, really good, and it was their offense, you know, that struggled. And I think if they can get their offense going like it was in the, earlier in the 2010s, uh, they would have pretty good team balance. So um, out of that group, I would say Eastern Washington and Sam Houston State is as you know the the most likely teams out of that group to rise up. So we'll we'll cover Eastern a lot uh, in two weeks when we do our Big Sky. But just because I've got you on, I kind of want to ask it. Um, I, they've been like a really big team. I've like been sleeping on. And I'm starting to get more behind to the point where I almost thought picking them for the Big Sky, just because. And I guess so. Talk me off this ledge, especially because like some fans that listen to this are going to be upset that I'm so high on Eastern Washington. But um, you know, last year they were considered a unanimous pick 
basically, I mean, some people had UC Davis. I was one of them to win the big sky. And um, I know you guys were one of the polls that actually had them lower in the preseason where a lot of people had them like returning as like a top five team. And I don't remember where you guys had them, like maybe like eight or something, but it, it was still a good ranking. And I think you're taking that team that for the most part's returning, you know, probably Walter Payton runner up. I mean, Trey Lance most likely will probably win it, but in Eric Barrier, um, you have a lot of players coming back. Most of that defense is going to be healthy this year. Do you almost feel, I mean, you kind of brought it up obviously by picking them, but I feel like they're almost being like really slept on this year in terms of, I feel like they're returning a lot more. This team is basically what last year's team was supposed to be if it can stay healthy. And I think that people are forgetting that. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of voters fall into the habit of, of looking how last year finished and kind of letting that decide, you know, wh- where they're going to put teams in preseason rankings. Like you mentioned earlier on the show, you know, we try to be a little bit predictive um, and we look at what, what teams have coming back. Like we got a ton of hell last year for not even having Colgate's in our top 25 poll, a preseason top 25 poll. And people were saying this team made the quarterfinals last year. I mean, how would you not have them in your top 25? And we say, well, look what, look what they have coming back. It's not a lot. I mean, we're not doing, we were not going off of last year. We're going off of what we had this year. And I think Colgate ended up starting the season like 0 seven or, or something like that. Uh, and, and so I think people do fall into that habit of just kind of, refurbishing what happened last year. So I do think Eastern Washington uh, has probably slipped in a lot of people's polls. Um, I don't, I don't think I would put them up there uh, too high. I don't think I would in the national polls and the big sky rankings. Um, I don't have their schedule in front of me, in front of me, but I know all of their toughest games are at home this year. Um, I think they play like three of the four teams that made the playoffs last year and all those games are at home. So somewhat favorable in a way, but I, I still like, um, you know, Weber state is that favorites in the big sky. And I still had, I still had Montana and Montana state ahead of Eastern Washington. Um, and honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Sacramento state ends up, you know, placing third or fourth in the big sky conference standings, just because you look at their, I can't remember what the number is, but you look at the the teams that are playing, they all had a combined record of like 16 and 36 last year in the big sky. So, I mean, Sac State has a really, really favorable schedule, even without Kevin Thompson, I think they could finish uh, pretty high. So I, I think you're looking at Eastern Washington kind of in that four to five range in the big sky. And with that, I think, you know, they're, they're nationally, they're probably in that 15 to 20 range for the preseason. You know, if we look at the second tier, now I'm going to start at seven, read off what you guys have. Uh, Montana's number seven, Villanova, number eight, Montana state, nine, central Arkansas, 10, Kennesaw state, 11, Illinois, state 12, Austin P 13, followed by Furman, Delaware, then New Hampshire. Now, first, the question everyone has wanted to know forever in the battle of, let's say, interesting turfs, Central Arkansas versus Eastern Washington. Who wins in your mind, Sam? Um, probably. We're talking, talking turf only. Yeah. Talking I, turf only. <laughs> I, uh, I would probably say Central Arkansas. Um you know, I think people are aware of Eastern Washington's pure red turf by now, but I think when they see the the striped, uh, yeah, the two tone purplish, yeah, I think that, <laughs> that still is a shock on the eyes when you see it on TV. That's a strong pick. 
the the pajama look is interesting although uh, for <laughs> listeners i did buy you can buy part of the old eastern washington red turf if you act now or at least I before july it. 31st i bought a 20 dollars doormat because it's symbolic of how some people think about eastern but exactly. <laughs> jumping in jumping back into the tier sam um i guess the question that I think, uh, and I'm going to let you skip Montana, Montana State just for a second, because uh, I want to talk about a few teams our listeners might not be as aware of. Um, you know, Kennesaw State has been pretty dang good for relative to how young that program is. They've essentially been nothing but good, uh, but they're also in a little bit of weaker conference. A team like Illinois State is in a real tough conference, Mount Missouri Valley which can be, you know, blessing in disguise and that you play some good teams, but that also means you play some good teams um, of the teams in that second tier. We went over it, same premise. Who do you have a team or two who you would not be shocked to see, you know, if the stars align, they finish top five. I think out of this group, I'm probably Kennesaw State. Uh, you know, they, they don't play a strong schedule once again. I think they play two. Um, I guess I, I, they, they, I know originally they were playing two non-counters. Um, I don't know if any of those, uh, they might be one might be NAI, one might be D3. I don't know where those teams stand as far as, you know, they may have canceled their season as well. So I don't know what Kennesaw State's schedule looks like exactly as far as those as far as those teams, but um, I know they had originally they had two non-counters. They also had an FBS opponent, Kent State, and that's a winnable game. And then I, I think they'll run through the Big South uh, like they usually do, um, minus last year when Monmouth got them. But Monmouth has a, a ton of seniors gone from last year, so I think you know if Kennesaw State is able to play that FBS game and get a win there, I think we're looking at an undefeated. Uh, Kennesaw State team and you know as as they keep on winning games and let's say you know South Dakota State loses a game you know even in my opinion I would still probably keep South Dakota State ahead of Kennesaw State because I think South Dakota State is better you know the more teams in the top five that lose and Kennesaw State keeps on winning then they kind of move <laughs> to the other side and in, in the top into the top five so um, that's just kind of how, how, how polls go people slide teams in and out um, so I, I think yeah I think Kennesaw State is the team out of that group that it won't surprise me if they they move into the top five and, and even get a good uh, playoff seed if they do get that FBS win. And in another team that's impacted in that second tier, um, Austin P yeah, no right. longer has their their head coach. I believe his name is Mark Hudspeth. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, do you see them as a team that could? I don't know. Maybe they have now entered the coin flip world of new, maybe you know, new coach, uh, unstable year to begin with. I would say, you know, they look like on paper a team that uh, they've got to have some things go definitely go right to stay in that mid tier. What do you think about Austin P? Yeah, you know, I I like what they have coming back. I think they'll be the best team in the OVC. Uh, they they do lose some some key players uh, on that team, but I think they are experienced overall, and I think the way they're they're, they're trending is really positive, but you, you just don't know how a team will react to losing their head coach like that. Um, I mean, no matter, you, it's not quite the same, uh, but I mean, you look at what happened to James Madison a couple of years ago when Mike Houston was on his way out, you know, the players said, you know, it's not going to be a distraction, but you could, you could tell on the field that it was a distract, a, a distraction when they lost to Colgate. Uh, so we'll see, you know, how Austin P reacts to this. Um, 
you know, he did leave pretty abruptly. Uh, we later found out uh, via reports that uh, Coach Husbeth, he was he was in the middle of uh, serving a suspension. Um, we aren't sure what exactly he did that led to that suspension, but he was mid-suspension when he decided to um, resign as head coach. So, I mean, they, the team does have a little bit of time, you know, to adjust. Uh, but, I mean, he – He's a he's a hell of a football coach, and you can tell that Austin P was trending in the in the right direction in the 2010s. I mean, they were awful in the early to mid 2010s. They had like a 30 to 40 game losing streak at one point, uh, and then their old head coach got an FBS job. But and you could tell when when Hudspeth came in last year, he kind of put that finishing touch on that team and gave them that edge that led them to making a, a historic run to the quarterfinals. Um, without him there now. I, I, Honestly, I probably wouldn't drop Austin P in our poll a whole lot just because at the end of the day, the talent is still there. The talent isn't leaving, uh, but it does kind of make you wonder, you know, what kind of impact this will have once the season hits. I'm kind of curious on, we touched on their turf, but Central Arkansas, the team, I've, I, I feel like this is like kind of two years where it's kind of been brewing that they've started to kind of really become more of a competitor. I mean, do you think they have the stuff this year or is it still just kind of, um, I look at them and Illinois state kind of in the same light where they both have been kind of deadly teams, but I've never viewed them as really a, th- a threat to move maybe even to the semis. Um, like a surprise, like how maybe Eastern Washington did in 2018, but I just look at this and it's like Kennesaw, I could see maybe sneaking up on people and they've been building for what's, five, six years now where it just seems like they're only getting better and better. But I look at like Central Arkansas and Illinois State and they feel like two teams that are kind of been just been flirting with that 10 range. Do they finish around 10 or do you think they finally take a jump forward and maybe become like a Sac State or a Weber State where all of a sudden they're players? Yeah, I don't know if either team will, uh, you know, truly threaten for a national title. Um, Central Arkansas, they have a ton uh, coming back. Their quarterback, Braylon Smith, is really, really good. Um, You know, he has something. They basically have their entire running back, uh, running back, backfield back. His top weapons are back. Um, The defense is is pretty intact as well. So they're basically – you know, their entire team is coming back from last year. And last year's team, I believe, was the number eight seed in the playoffs, but ended up losing uh, right away in the second round. I think they actually ended up losing to uh, Illinois State because they couldn't stop James Robinson. Uh, but I think this team will be one year better, one year more mature. I think they could build off of last year and potentially make a run to the quarterfinals. Uh, but I, I don't know if they take that next step and, and make it to the semifinals. Uh, Illinois State's made it to the quarterfinals last year. Uh, I mean, really gave NDSU a, a big time scare and was one, you know, long, you know, broken, you know, broken tackle touchdown away from beating NDSU in the quarterfinals. Uh, their defense is going to be really, really, really good. Um, you know, their quarterback, they had, you know, their quarterback last year, Brady Davis, uh, he ended up uh, missing the last half of the year with the torn ACL, um, but he'll be back. He has all his wide receivers back. Uh, the offensive line is really, really good, uh, but replacing James Robinson, who was their workhorse, um, that's going to be uh, some tough shoes to fill. So um, I think Illinois State could possibly make it back to the quarterfinals, but you know they're, they're going to be in a tough spot because I don't think they'll be a seed uh, in the playoffs just because they have to go through North Dakota State and South Dakota State and and, and you know Northern Iowa and all those tough teams in that conference, but um, very true. I, I think they're I think they're 
I, I don't think either of those teams are national title threats, but I think they're in that tier two as far as teams that could threaten a run to the quarterfinals and be in that final eight. And then looking at your top tier, you know, we have number one, North Dakota State, number two, South Dakota, South Dakota State, number three, Northern Iowa, number four, had been Sac State. Uh, that was pre-Kevin Thompson, five, James Madison, six, Weber State, uh, seven, Montana. And also just for listeners, Montana State's number nine, so right around there, too. So looking through those, let's say, top six right now, Sam, um, now, first, I don't I don't want to sell North Dakota State short because of how good they've been. It's just I think that I think they're a no brainer. Number one at this point, I'm sure you can add to why they're a no brainer. Uh, but first, I, I, I just got to ask a question. This is on behalf of a lot of people in our region. Northern Iowa seems to be top five or top three like every single year. And then they're not bad, but they're. I don't know. It seems like there is a pattern of they are overrated, but good. So it's not like they're a bad program. Like, of course, at Idaho, we'd love to be as overrated as Northern Iowa right now. But we got a lot of people, especially in the big sky, who are pretty dang touchy about Northern Iowa being a top five-ish team. Can you, uh, do you, can you sell me on Northern Iowa top three? Yeah, so here's the interesting thing. There, there seems to be that narrative that Northern Iowa is always – way overranked in the preseason but the the last time they were preseason ranked in the top 10 was 2016 actually they weren't even ranked in our top 25 last year and in previous years they were always kind of in that 15 to 25 range uh but i think people just I don't, for some reason, like I even had to go back and look because I even was thinking too, like, yeah, it does seem like Northern Iowa's preseason ranked uh, pretty high quite a bit. But then I went back and looked at the last five preseason top 25 polls and the Panthers weren't really ever, ever really highly ranked. Uh, the last time they were, uh, besides this year, obviously, was in 2016. The year prior, they made a run to the quarterfinals. Um, yeah, I guess to, uh, to hype up this year's team, you know, I think the top five, ranking is warranted um you know you you just look at the fact that they did make the quarterfinals last year uh they they gave james madison a scare um and basically they 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 leaned on their defense last year um and um, basically that entire defense is coming back i mean they have all conference players and all american players on every single level of that defense and i think you know, NDSU and JMU fans will hate it. Weber State fans will hate it, but I think Northern Iowa will have the best defense in the FCS this year. Uh, the big question mark is offensively. Um, they had a pretty young quarterback last year, Will McElbane. He was just a, a redshirt freshman, but I think he'll be able to take a step forward. Um, the offensive line is always big and physical. Um, Isaiah Weston is their big uh, wideout. He's an All-American uh, running back need to get a little more explosive. So the big question mark is offensively, but, you know, I do think uh, they deserve to be in that top five uh, uh, range just with the talent that they have coming back. I think this could be the best team they've had during the 2010s. Wow. That's a raving statement, actually. Yeah, I I agree with kind of what Brian, you said. I always feel like Northern Iowa is one of those teams, like how I brought up Illinois State earlier, that always seems to be ranked really high. But then you, they don't. You don't really hear from them in deep playoff runs. But I mean, maybe some of that is because they do make deeper playoff runs and end the season ranked. And we're kind of like where they come out of. And once again, 
taking in your feelings from how the season ended into how a season began. Um, some of that, because that is curious. Cause I do feel like I always see Northern Iowa. It's curious to see, like, Sam, what you said, that they weren't even ranked in your guys' top 25 last year. Yeah, and I, I think what um, – I, I think what people, when they when they think of that part about Northern Iowa always being too highly ranked, I think they automatically just think of, oh, they're too highly ranked in the preseason. But what I think it is is basically every single year, Northern Iowa is 2-2 two and two at the end of September because they always play like a Montana or a Weber State in the non-conference, and then they play like Iowa or Iowa State. Um, and so they have two really tough opponents. They're always 2-2 two and two at the end of September, but you'll see them like hanging around number 15 in the polls at the end of September. And that's when people are like, why is Northern Iowa two and two and at number 16 and they're ahead of, you know, a team that's four and oh. Um, and so I think that's kind of where the, when people see Northern Iowa in polls, I, I think, I think that might be what, what they're actually thinking of, of, of Northern Iowa being too high, but yeah, you know, they, they, they always get put into playoff mode, like in October where they need to win out to make the playoffs. Uh, they ended up, you know, they usually do make the playoffs and they do end up, um, you know, getting a first round win, but they always seem to get matched up in the second rounds with a seeded team like South Dakota State and end up losing to South Dakota State. So they don't make a very far run. Uh, last year, they actually beat South Dakota State in the second round when South Dakota State was seeded and made that run to the quarterfinals. But uh, yeah, they haven't done a ton of down, a ton of damage in the playoffs in, in recent years. Uh, but last year, they kind of got past that hump and they have a ton coming back from last year. So that's why I feel pretty highly about them. So I see, obviously, they're one, two, and three are Missouri Valley, Northern Iowa being three, uh, South Dakota State being two, and North Dakota State being one. Are those your three, three or four quarterfinal teams? And are we, based on your guys' poll, going to get a Dakota Marker championship in Frisco? Or do you just think, is this more where you're saying the best teams are ranked one, through one, two, three, not necessarily teams that are going to make the quarterfinals? Because I feel like it's hard to have three teams from one conference make it. Just, but I mean, if they all get in, then the destiny's kind of in their own hands as long as they don't get seated against each other. Yeah, the, the the chances of actually having three Valley teams in the semifinals uh, would probably be pretty tough. Uh, you know, it would, the bracket would have to make that possible. Uh, you know, obviously, but you know, I, I do think entering the season, these are the three best teams uh, in the FCS. Yeah, I really, really like South Dakota State. Um, you know, their defense really took a step up uh, last year, and they have nine of, 11, nine of their 11 starters coming back on that side of the ball. Um, offensively, went healthy. Um, they really showed what they could do. I mean, they nearly knocked off uh, Minnesota, and I was at that game. Uh, the season opener uh, very nearly knocked off Minnesota, and that was the Gophers' best team that they've had in quite some time. Um, when they were fully healthy against North Dakota State, uh, you know, really took it to the Bison in the first quarter. Then their starting quarterback, Jabori Gibbs, uh, got hurt. Uh, you know, he ended up missing the rest, the rest of the year. Uh, their standout running back, Pierre Strong Jr., he got hurt late in the year. And so they really limped into the playoffs. Um, especially offensively, but I think if they can stay fully healthy, they, to me, appear to be the most balanced team in the FCS behind North Dakota State, and that's why um, that's why we have them number two. How big is the gap? I think it's pretty North, big this year. With North Dakota State and everybody else, or do you think those three actually have a shot? No, I think, I think there's a gap between NDSU and everyone else this year, and then I think you can kind of lump 
those next six or seven teams into tier two. Uh, but I think there's a big gap between the top eight to nine teams. I'll just say, I think there's a big gap between teams one through 10 and teams 11 through 25. I think teams 11 through 25 are, are all pretty interchangeable. Um, I, I do feel, uh, you know, the, the big three conferences, uh, they're you know if you look at our top 10 it is pretty heavy with the big three conferences I, I do think there still is that gap there and i know fans from the socon and the southland and the ovc hate that and think there's some big three you know national bias but i mean that every year you know every year at this time we get into an, an argument of you know whether the, the big three are actually the big three or not um and then every year we get to the we get to the playoffs and it's you know, seven out of the eight teams are from the big three. And so like every, every year, uh, the proof is right there in the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think, you know, last year I, I felt North Dakota state and James Massimer are one a and one B in the preseason. Uh, this year, even though we have South Dakota state number two, I don't, think they're the one beat NDSU's one a um you know NDSU just has so much coming back where I think they they there is a gap between them um, and everyone else so which gap is bigger the gap between number one and number two or the other kind of tiered gap you referenced was top 10 versus the rest of the top 25 which is in your mind a bigger gap uh one to two or the 10, 11 through 25 I would say the, the the gap is bigger between ten, uh, the top ten, and, and everyone else. Um, you know, I, I do think there are a lot of teams out there that can compete uh, and, and push uh, NDSU. I mean, you look at the teams right out of the valley: South Dakota State, Northern Iowa, uh, Illinois State. They're all going to match up really well with uh, with NDSU in the playoffs. And, and like I mentioned, I mean, Illinois State they had basically no threat to NDSU offensively in the quarterfinal game, but their defense played so well and they were able to match NDSU's physicality that, you know, it was a, it was a three point ball game for, for most of that game. And so I think those three Valley teams can push NDSU um, in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I, the big sky, uh, I think Weber States uh, would be able to match up decently with NDSU. I think, um, I think, I, I really think Montana matches up pretty well uh, with NDSU just because of the style of offense uh, they run. Uh, I don't think, Mon- I think Montana State's going to be good, but I don't think think they match up really well with NDSU. I mean, we saw that um, in the semifinals. Uh, you know, James Madison, um, you know, they have a lot of talent, uh, young talent, but we still, that's pretty unproven talent. So we don't, it's kind of hard to figure out where James Madison is going to be, but, you know, they could potentially mature. And by, by the time the playoffs hits, you know, assuming we, we do get playoffs in the fall, you know, they, they could potentially push NDSU. So, you know, I don't think, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think this is going to be a, a season like 2013 when NDSU was beating every single playoff team 35 to seven. Um, I do think they, they will get challenged. Um, but, but I just think, you know, compared to past years, they're, they're, they're the clear cuts favorite, not only because of what they have coming back, but what some of these other teams lose. So I'm kind of curious. Um, there's a lot of teams in the FCS. We've covered basically the top 25 and we've covered how there's a lot of changes in the top 25 compared to when it was published. I'm kind of curious. Are there any teams out there that you are saying is totally under the radar Honestly, to we've talked about them already a bit, but like your Sac States, who's a team that's or UC Davis in 2018? That's 
a team that's just going to really kind of come out of nowhere, possibly get a seed, uh, maybe not just be probably, you know, what would be like a nine or t- like a big just at large or surprise conference winner. Yeah, I, you know, truthfully, I don't know if there is that team this year. Um, if I had to pick one, uh, I know they were kind of the, the – this was one – this was, uh, you know, Matt Frazee. This was his uh, dark horse team last year. But, uh, you know, Furman was hot for a little bit at the beginning of last year. Uh, they competed really well uh, with two – I think they had two seven-point losses to FBS opponents, and that kind of opened everyone's eyes. Um, and then I think they, they may have started uh, SOCOM play – like two and zero or three and zero, and everyone was kind of looking at as that Furman as as a possible seed. Uh, you know, once October hit for them though, and mid October hits, they kind of uh, were up and down. They were a pretty young team last year, um, and so obviously with being a young team last year, they have a ton coming back this year. I think they can get one year better, one year more mature. So that's possibly one team that could rise up and, and earn a playoff seed. Um, but you know, kind of like I said, it does appear. Like, you know, the, the, the big three conferences are, are really where the power teams um, are at. And, you know, I know the CAA has postponed their season, but, you know, I, James Madison is, is as long as there's a playoff, they're looking to play. Uh, Villanova has left the door open to play. Uh, they're another top 10 team. Uh, Elon is a, is the third CAA team that said, we're, we're, you know, we, we possibly might still play this fall. Um, you know, they're. 30 to 35 ish range as far as a ranking. Um, but overall, I, I think, you know, if we do have a playoff this fall, you're going to see all the seeds are coming from the, the, the power three conferences in the FCS, you know, potentially Kennesaw state could sneak into a seed um, as well, just because of their really good playoff or just because of their really good overall record. Well, Chris, do you have any any other top 25 questions you want to go through before we pull maybe a last tap? Uh, I am good with the last tap if you are. All right. So this relates to something we talked about earlier, which is uh, JMU, James Madison, um, and also uh, Leon Costello, athletic director of Montana State, has said essentially the same thing, that um, – if there's not a playoff, they are not as interested in a fall season. But at this point, they're certainly op- – JMU is looking to make a, an independent schedule. Montana State has said it's open to an independent schedule. The maybe dean of FCS, uh, you know, kind of football reporting, of course, outside of people like Sam, Sam Herter and Brian McLaughlin, uh, Craig Haley wrote an article saying um, he thinks fans should more or less be – be okay with there not being a playoff this potentially not being a playoff this season, which, you know, on paper, that is a relatively reasonable stance of like, Hey guys, just be happy. We have football. Uh, But we also have athletic directors saying, well, look, we're not going to go out. We're not going to go wild with a really difficult independent schedule if there's no playoffs. So yes, Sam, I'm, uh, what's your, what's your take on, uh, let's say we, we get this world that Craig Haley talked about, uh, with no playoffs. Uh, I mean, do you think that's like kind of a foundation, like a foundation shaking thing for some of these F- FCS teams? Cause I mean, a lot of teams and fans like us take pride in the fact that we have a playoff. We moved to the FCS for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, when, 
I think uh, Craig, I think he came out that story last week or two weeks ago. Um, and at the time I agreed with him because um, and I think I even maybe quote tweeted that or something else where I said, you know, my, I, I'm not even thinking about the playoffs right now. I would just be happy if we have games this fall, uh, you know, just because I, didn't, I don't know how likely we are to have the FCS playoffs this year, just because at that time I thought the FCS could start on time, but the worry would be, you know, is, is, is football going to be able to finish, especially, you know, come November and it's, it's flu season and, you know, that then things could get a little messy there, but, you know, I've kind of backed off on that a little bit, my stance on the playoffs, just because now I'm seeing how much ADs are, are shaping their opinion based off of the playoffs. Um, and, and so now I'm kind of looking at it as, okay, I think whatever happens with the playoffs is that's going to influence a lot of decisions. And, you know, I've, I've tried to find an answer uh, regard and I've reached out to some uh, some FCS administrators um, or conference administrators uh, officials I, I should say um, and I've kind of asked you know it because the the FCS playoffs playoffs are obviously an NCAA you know administered sponsored uh, you know playoff system and so I asked I said are the the, the FCS conferences that are still you know, planning on playing, are they waiting for the NCAA to come in and say, all right, you know, things are trending decently in the right direction in this country. And so we still plan to, you know, hopefully have a, a playoff this fall. Um, and then, you know, the remaining conference say, conferences and teams say, all right, you know, we're going to pursue a fall season because there's the playoffs or maybe the NCAA comes out and says, you know, we're just, we're not seeing, you know, medically we're not seeing the right things in this country right now we're training in the wrong direction so we're going to push the playoffs to the spring that would obviously influence you know the montanas and the north Dakota states uh of the world to play in the spring and so i was kind of asking is the is is are the conferences waiting for the ncaa or is the ncaa waiting for the conferences and the teams where let's say there's there's 50 teams in the fcs that say hey we're in a region where we can play uh, we can go through all the protocols and the testings and we're capable of doing all that. Um, and there's 50 teams in the FCS that can do that this fall. The NCAA sees that and says, all right, that's enough teams. We're going to have the playoffs. And I'm, I'm trying to find out, you know, which one is it, you know, which one's coming first. And, you know, I, I don't even think the conferences have an answer for that. You know, it was, it was described to me as kind of, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg. This is kind of the same situation as they don't, I don't really know what exactly um, is going to happen. And I think maybe there is a chance where the NCAA is just going to look at it specifically, you know, at the FCS and say, Hey, like we, we, we don't think we'll be able to sponsor a playoffs in the fall, but at the same time, there's no guarantees we can do the same in the spring just because of all the crossover. So we're going to leave it up to teams and the conferences to decide when they want to play. Um, you know, there's not going to be a playoffs in the spring. There's not going to be a playoffs in the fall. If you want to pursue a fall schedule, you can. If you want to play in the spring, you can do that. But there's not going to be a playoffs. Um, I think that potentially is a possibility. Um, I just know that the conferences need a hundred percent assurance from the NCAA where if the NCAA says, you know, we're going to play the playoffs in the spring, these conferences need, okay, how are we going to do that? You know, there's going to be a ton of overlap. You know, we need a hundred percent assurance that you're, you're going to figure out a way to make sure the playoffs do happen in the spring um, or else, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, pursue games in the fall. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a huge mess. Um, 
the problem with having half the teams playing in the fall and half the playing half the teams playing in the spring is how does that impact 2021? I mean, those those teams that play in the spring, you know, they're going to be saying, all right, we can't start 2021 on September 1st. We're going to have to push things back to October 1st. But then if you have 50 teams that are playing this fall, they're going to be saying, no, we want to start the season on time <laughs> next fall. So it's there, there's not a lot of – it doesn't seem like a lot of people are on the same page uh, in the FCS. Um which makes it very difficult. And there's not one person that will technically decide this um, when it comes to the FCS. Uh, so that's, I mean, the somewhat good news is it seems August 1st, that time range is when we're going to know for sure. Um, but I mean, I tell people all the time that I have no idea what's going to happen. You know, I have no, Brian and I, we talked to a lot of people to try to get a feel for it. Uh, but I don't think, I don't even think the conference officials truly know what's going to happen. So uh, we have, Which no makes- we have no inside scoops because our insiders, they don't have scoops themselves. <laughs> so the big, big sky media days, days on Thursdays. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Right. And yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't, I doubt they were going to announce anything then. No, but it's, that, that yeah. Cool. I mean, they moved them forward. That's what's so interesting. Like, with all this, like, we're waiting to see what happens, and they decide, like, instead of waiting to see what happens, we'll move forward. Um, and everything appears that it's not just an announcement they're canceling the season because they still have players and everything interviewed, you know, lined up. So I, I just thought it was an interesting move that with all this uncertainty, they decided to go sooner. But um, Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to announce a cancellation, no. you know, during the media days. That would seem like no. it would be in, in poor taste to be like, hey, here's our preseason poll and here's the preseason the way, to, conference yeah. teams. By the way, we're canceling. All you coaches, thanks for taking time out of your day. But you can go now. Yeah, <laughs> and I know all the coaches' interviews and the player interviews was all pre-recorded. Um, and Craig Haley and I uh, joined. We, we recorded day, day two, right? there's two days of it, I believe, but uh, Craig and I re-recorded something as well with the big sky. Um, You know, they, they're, when they release uh, their all conference teams, you know, we kind of came in via video and talked about each player um, and that's all pre-recorded. And the the reason given to us why it's moving up is because all the the recordings are done and all the the publishing and the the editing is all, all that is done. And they want to, you know, push it forward, a week instead of having it the the first weekend of August because that's kind of when decisions are are going to be made. Yeah. So they basically yeah. said we're ready to push this out a week before, so let's just do it. Yeah. I have one real narrow scenario I run want to run by you, Sam. Yeah. Let's say you are made the dean of FCS football. It's an imaginary position, but it becomes Mac, Mac Brown brought that up last week. He said what he thinks we need is a commissioner of just college football at the NCAA. Because with yeah. all the conferences, there's too much like communication and people disagree and agree. He said if the NCAA came in and made someone like Sam dean or commissioner of college football, and he's also said, you know, somebody else for basketball, volleyball, et cetera, but some central person. So, yeah, I like where this question's so, going because I was so going to bring this up. We'll go with commissioner dean's a little bit too pedantic. So, commissioner Herder. <laughs> Let's say our playoff scenario is either for fall or spring. We have a season that that's cohesive enough, but there's not enough time to do the regular playoffs. There's only time for quarter semis finals. So a top eight, 
Commissioner Herter, how do you fill that top eight? Because obviously we can't just do, I mean, are, are you going to say we still want to have auto bids because we look at the, you look at your top 25. I don't know how a third place in the Missouri Valley, Northern Iowa could even make that playoffs with auto bids, but is a third place in the Missouri Valley team probably better than first in one of the smaller conferences? I mean, duh. Um, they likely are. <laughs> so I guess, Commissioner, you got eight teams you can fill for the playoffs. What What's your criteria? How are you going to do this with these, you know, conference-only type schedules, shortened season and all that? Yeah, so that would be interesting. Um, and by the way, speaking of the commissioners, I think it would make sense to have, you know, a, a Power 5 commissioner, a Group of 5 commissioner, and an FCS commissioner, you know, three different commissioners, because I, I, don't, I don't know if you can have a commissioner – that handles both the FCS and the power five, just because it is two way different worlds. Uh, but anyways, getting, getting back on topic, you know, it is interesting that, you know, there is 10 auto bids into the conference or into the playoffs. Uh, two of those are already gone for the fall and that's the Patriot league in the CAA. So, um, you know, numbers there would suggest, you know, just take the eight auto bids and put it into the playoff into this playoff system. But I don't, I, I would disagree with that. Um, it would probably, you know, to it would be fair for every single of the eight remaining conferences to have a team compete for a national championship. But if you want to make this as realistic of a, of a playoff as possible, you have to go off of, you know, the eight best teams. And I mean, no offense to San Diego, the pioneer football league, um, who's probably going to be the out of it this year. I have a ton of respect for that program and, and what they do as a non-scholarship and they've beaten big sky teams in the playoffs, but they are not a top eight team, um, in the FCS. And if you ask them that off the record, they, they know like they're not, they're not a top eight team, but their goal is just to make it to the second round every year in the playoffs. So I don't think you can do auto bids. I think you just have to do, um, I mean, basically the, the, the same thing that the playoff committee uh, does, you know, they find their eight seeds and those are the eight teams in the playoffs in this scenario. Um, Cause I don't think you could have, you know, I, I don't think you can have the NEC auto bid and the pioneer football league auto bid ahead of in the playoffs ahead of Montana and South Dakota States, you know, that I, I don't think that would be, that, that, that wouldn't be a true national uh, tournament format. Yeah. All right, we're going to do getting iced here in a second. That's where we've been asking you kind of questions uh, throughout this podcast. Gives you a question to ask us anything you'd like. It can be sports-related or it doesn't have to be sports-related. So we'll give you a second to think about that. Um, We'll do an ad read, and then it's all on you to ice us. Have your summer plans been canceled? Are you having a hard time finding a backup plan? Well, don't fret and don't look too far. There are amazing options right out your back door that offer the ultimate mix of fun, Adventure with an opportunity for social distancing. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental United States for the ultimate form of social distancing. Hughes River Expeditions has first-class trips on rivers in the West since 1976. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the Middle Fork of the Salmon, the Salmon River Canyons, the Selway, or even a special trip like the one they're doing this year to see the Perside Meteor Shower. Camp on pristine, amazing trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs. Take in the history all along the river, fish some of the most remote stretches of the river in the lower 48, and let Hughes River Expeditions handle everything else. Hughes River Expeditions has been vandal-owned and operated since 1976 and is ready to take you on the vacation of a lifetime. HRE is... Booking trips now through 2023. 
Don't miss out on a world-class trip right here in the Gem State. You can check them out on HughesRiver.com or give them a call at the HRE office. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull down world-class rivers right here in the Gem State. Call them now at 800-262-1882. That's 800-262-1882. There has never been a better time to get out in the fresh air of Idaho's backcountry. All right, Sam, getting iced. Hit us with your best your best shot. Yeah, so I'll, I'll preface this with saying – you might know where I'm going to go with this, but I'll preface this with, with saying that I've never been a huge uh, video game guy. Um, but I've seen some running jokes – uh, especially now that, you know, people are talking about popular as ever <laughs> NCAA football needs to come back, uh, the video game, and I, but I've seen some running jokes with NCAA football, the video game in the Kibbe dome. Uh, you know, I've seen like the Reddit college football, uh, account tweet about it a lot. It, so what is, what is the story behind that? It's just, it's just kind of like a running joke of people like playing in that stadium on the game or what, what, what's the story behind that? Yeah. As a, uh, a big NCAA football guy. Um, it is one of those teams that it's always been kind of a popular choice for people because one, their story, our story, I don't know why I'm saying their Idaho story is so unique in the terms of the whack folded and we had to go independent. So then you had this team where you got to make all 12 games. So, and that, you know, if you've never played it, you're going to make your whole schedule, except your conference schedule is based on real life. So you had this team back in the 2013. So the last year they made it where you have one of the bottom five teams in the FBS that you could schedule Notre Dame, USC, Alabama, Tennessee, all these like, you know, top teams, take them to a national title game. Um, that in the Kibbe Dome being so unique. And in the FCS, we talked about how, there are a ton of domes in the FCS, but in the FBS, it's like us and Syracuse and UTSA, basically. So it is a little bit more unique. The Carrier Dome's more well-known for basketball. UTSA is literally an old you know, basketball stadium that was converted and held a bowl game forever, so it's not really a college stadium. So I think it just held a, a unique place um, in people's hearts, and I think because they are that team that's in the game that isn't actually playing FBS football anymore, it is popular. But I do agree with you that it, we're more popular than ever now because people <laughs> keep bringing up the Gibby Dome in NCAA 14, and somebody brought it up as to have every single team in the country come play in Moscow Pullman and just play all the games in the Dome in a bubble. So I, I'm happy for the publicity, but uh, yeah, it did kind of come out of nowhere. I'm not going to lie. I did not see it coming as somebody who spent years online trying to make Idaho popular on that game. I'm surprised. I'm happy it finally happened. Yeah, because I've seen it mentioned like four different times in, in the last two months. So I'm like, all right, different accounts. Know. It's crazy. Yeah, the, the backstory of this. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of your listeners, you know, probably already know the backstory. But uh, yeah, I was, I was just curious of, of of the reasoning for that. Yeah, it, it, it's totally out of left field. Um, I think I believe it's Thor on Reddit who are on college football Reddit that kind of started the whole thing. And then I think some other pieces took it from there like oh that is a cool idea and yeah now it's if you never took idaho to the national championship in ncaa 14 did you ever play ncaa 14 <laughs> so i'm i'm stoked it happened um it's one thing i guess we'll have on boise state but brian do you have anything to add i am really glad you had the expertise to handle that question because <laughs> I, I think i'm probably more in sam's world where 
I just I just don't really play video games. I, I don't hold against people who play video games, but it's just not something I I just don't have the ability to do that with my time. But mercifully, Chris, you were able to save us because I was going to have to take us in the direction in the bailout direction of, you know, White Claw sponsoring the dome or something like that just to change topic. That, that, that's Montucky, Montucky. Well, Montucky first. Montucky yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, all right. Well, everyone, that was Sam. Um, Sam, if they don't know how to find you, let them know how to find you and what's going on in your life. Yeah, uh, my Twitter handle is right there at Sam Herder FCS, and uh, all of our all of our content, uh, written content, is on HeroSports.com, and then also we have uh, a podcast called B Mac and Herds FCS podcast, where you can find that basically anywhere you know podcasts are available. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank you for coming on. Um, you know, it, this was a year where we needed the extra or extra expertise. So um, glad you came on. I'm sure by the time this airs Thursday um, on actual podcast network or you know podcast streaming software, everything will be different again. But um, as of Tuesday when we recorded this, and for those that tuned in on YouTube, um, it was good having you on, and thank you so much for all the information. Absolutely. Thank you guys once again for having me. Yep. All right. See you, Sam. All right. See you, guys. Bye. All right, Brian. So, any takeaways from Sam? And then let's try to do Cup of Joe conversation recap to you and our listeners who didn't catch it as fast as possible. And then let's get out of here. We're in midseason form. We could actually do a, a decently timed podcast today. No, I, I like that. It was interesting to hear Sam go over, particularly the Northern Iowa, not that we're the Northern Iowa podcast now, but um, I mean, he I did bring them up as a possible opponent. So maybe we are. <laughs> yeah, he's in, um, I mean, he, he's in a different world covering the entire FCS. So he gets to learn more about that. I know, you know, let's say we had Grizz fan on here. Their mm-hmm. reaction would have been, okay, we're not talking about last year, man. We're talking about the last five decades. Um, but you know, I mean, they're also in a real tough conference. I mean, that was, that was why I was curious about the the playoff situation yeah, because, uh, you know, the the Missouri Valley would be like the big sky, even if it's only co- the core, um, like non-California schools who can play. You know, if, if that means Montana, Montana State, Weber, and Eastern are all playing each other, there's some math. Some teams have to lose some games there. Um, and, you know, if you only lose to a couple top 10 teams, should an auto bid from a weak conference get a playoff spot? Uh, typically, I'm pretty egalitarian, but this time, no. I mean, I just say yeah. you have to say, man, dude, the season's just kind of weird and it sucks. Yeah. But you take the coach's poll, too. Don't even. I, I, no, I probably. Whose poll do you take at that point? Because that's the problem, too. We don't have an official media poll. I mean, I know technically it's stats, um, which is Craig Haley's. Um, website, but uh, probably stats. I mean, honestly, I would trust Brian and Sam probably the most, but I just don't think with it only being two people, they would ever agree to um, allowing two people to really have a decision on who the best eight teams are. But that's the other problem without having the established media poll and us knowing that coaches' polls are just a bunch of hogwash. It's curious, man. It's curious. Uh, just heavily weight the hero sports poll, wrap it into the stats poll. Just pretend they're like voters. Their poll is triple the points for each team yeah, exactly. rank. Yeah, exactly. So. And completely bail on the coaches poll, which if you guys are new to FCS, the FCS coaches poll is the absolute worst top 25 in like the history of top 25s. Yeah. 
Yeah, 100% agree. Um, all right, so you missed Cup of Joe. So I'm just going to give you guy, you a quick recap and everybody else is on. And then you have any questions from what you might have missed. I'll try to answer them. Possible she didn't answer them. Um, it was more of Terry, uh, Director Gallic talking kind of uh they softballed her in some questions to begin with which rightfully so it's supposed to be this is directed at the university as a whole not just athletics fans so some people just need to get to know who she is um you know how she came to idaho how she's liking it how she got into sports um that kind of whole route uh the stuff that we'd care about and the people that are on here would care about seven two players have shown up for voluntary workouts um, now, what are this stuff we've covered? So sorry if I'm repeating myself. Um, the Kibbe Dome has very strict procedures in place right now with who can work out in groups. It's all voluntary. They don't start until I think it was, she said, August 1st with actual practice. Uh, as far as kind of Sam brought it up, the deadline being October for, or August 1st, and some people said July 1st. She also, or July 31st, she also said there was a deadline July 1st, and they pushed it back. So she doesn't expect any of these dates to really mean anything more than like a really solid check-in. Um, but yeah, the Idaho, she feels really strong about we're ahead of the curve in terms of how we're handling COVID, how we're handling testing, not only as an athletic department, but as a school. Um, temperature is checked every time you enter the Kibbe Dome. You're closely monitored. And she brought up that they're college kids. And unfortunately, we've seen it with some other schools um, where they weren't necessarily doing their parts. But uh, like... Um, Idaho, they're in a bubble, and there's only so much you can do to control kids in a bubble, but um, they're doing their best, and that includes all sports. Um, and as of now, they're very loose. They, She's under the impression that right now they're full bore on fall, kind of. Um, if you watch College Football Live, they had Sankey on the SEC commissioner, very same thing, with the ability to quickly pivot to spring. She also brought up, we talked about it, that um, – the FCS is actually better set in her mind than the FBS to move to the spring because the FCS playoffs, as we like to brag about, are the only NCAA crown national championship, meaning the NCAA can move it. No contracts, no nothing. The, you know, the national championship game isn't sponsored. It isn't the Reese's Pieces, you know, Frisco Bowl. It is just the NCAA FCS championship. So there's no tie-in. So moving into spring isn't an issue. Um, where she brought up March Madness is. The Final Four is sponsored. Um, the March Madness is sponsored. FBS, those bowl games, and she brought up, that's why you aren't seeing necessarily, why the FCS you're seeing teams fold, and in the FBS you're not, is probably a lot of it is contractual to some of these bowl games, where if you're the AAC and you can't feel the whole team, like that's money you're missing out on where we don't have the benefit of making any extra money other than hosting a game for the playoffs, you know? So the SCS is almost better set because we're not leaving money on the table. We're not really subject to some of these contracts that like the Idaho famous potato bowl is sponsored by the Idaho potato commission. So that money goes to teams. And if they can't feel mountain West and the Mac or whoever it is now can't feel teams, that's a problem for the NCAA and ESPN and everybody involved. And so that's where she said the FBS, that's why you're probably seeing more teams or more schools, not even like be more steadfast on we're playing in the fall where she actually did throw around that in the FCS, it might actually be, it's becoming more and more of a possibility. Um, but uh, God, I'm trying to think if I missed anything else. Uh, the ICCU arena is coming along. Great. We're very happy with it. Um, she brought up next project. If 
when this one's done, what she would like to see done is improving the outdoor practice facility. She didn't really elaborate on what that means, just that right now soccer and football share it, um, which isn't necessarily fair because if somebody's working on something, somebody might have to go in the Kibbe Dome. And sometimes the Kibbe Dome isn't set up for practice. And um, so I don't know if that means – I'm imagining maybe that's why they left that little strip that we were talking about in the last episode is adding maybe another little 50-yard um, cutout right there but uh, her next facility thing she would like to look at would be improving and maybe adding to the outdoor practice facility. Um, so that was cool. She brought up that her ideal first concert in the ICCU would be George Strait. But that she also brought up that she does not think we could afford that price tag. But dreamers can dream, basically. And she's from Texas. He's from Texas. Maybe she could place a call. Um, I'm trying to think if I missed anything else feel free to ask me, but it, I mean, it was good. It only went 40 minutes. It was supposed to be an hour. I was kind of like, like, Oh, that's, that's it for questions. We got to let her go now. I'm like, we started five minutes late and it's ending 15 minutes early. So it was a 40 minute conversation. There's 20 more minutes worth of stuff I could personally ask, but maybe that's why we'll have to have her on. I, I will say love her. Like the, I've gotten the chance to listen to her twice now in the last two weeks, three weeks. Um, I, was already a pretty good fan. I'm like all in on TG. She is, I, I think we're going good places between her and Scott green. I think we finally figured it out, but yeah, I, we've talked a little bit off camera about some of yeah. the things that have taken place. And some of those I'm, were not disclosed, which yeah, there's some pipelines coming yeah. or some big news coming down the pipeline. That I think yeah. we're really excited about, which um, if I could share that, I'd love to, but we'll, yeah, we will uh, not err on the side of. Uh, and it's not confirmed. Legal... We don't want to get egg on our face. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say vacating our legal defense fund, but um, <laughs> I gotta say two things. One, I w- I hope uh, TG gets to a point where she is more comfortable being open about some of the work that they're doing, mm-hmm. or maybe opens the wrong term, but being more, let's say, aggressive, like Lynn Hickey has been in getting on more public channels because all of you. Yeah, because for, I got to say, I think that we we hired a, a technocrat in a positive sense, meaning Terry Golick is interested in our athletic department functioning well, not not in like the sexy headline of firing a coach, um, whether the coach should be fired or not. I mean, it's it's a it's a thing you can point to to all people and say, like, hey, I did something big. If like if you, uh, you know, fire, hire a new coach, whereas doing the work of structuring of, you know, going through the risk management for structuring a season, doing the work of trying to Im- increase things like, you know, um, compliance within the athletic department itself, the stuff that we need for the athletic department to be as functional as it can possibly be is the stuff she's been working on to my understanding, but that's the kind of stuff that also just doesn't show up in a headline. Um, So I got to say, I, if you're a person who's curious, like, Hey, when are we going to hear about some of the big things? I mean, again, Idaho is a regional leader in setting protocols uh, for what the season's going to be. And it was also a risk for Idaho to say, as early as we did. I mean, look, Eastern and Portland state have said nothing. Montana and Montana state are going to wait until the last minute because I mean, in their defense, they have a tendency. She did touch on Portland state. Um, The city of Portland, the County in which I believe is Clackamas don't, uh, you know, quote me on that, but they're still in phase one. So she brought up 
their athletes are not even allowed to be in a facility right now. So Portland State, that is something I was not aware of yet. I, I kind of – it's funny on the piece I brought up that I wrote today, I almost brought that up for um, – God, was it California? No, it was Portland State. I brought up how Portland State, when I mentioned that's why I originally, for those of you who haven't read it, I brought up them as an option as both home and away in week three, um, whatever they would prefer. And I brought up originally, I was like, based on their local policies happening – they might not even be able to play home games um, in week three. So it might be better for them if they need to play at all, just to come to Idaho, even though they'd have a bye week and then be back at Idaho basically in three weeks or two weeks. But um, I decided to leave it out. Cause I was like, you know, season's changing. I don't want this piece to be like about whose policies or what, but then that was so funny. Cause I was like, and plus I don't know for sure what their policies are. Um, and I didn't really want to look it up for kind of a, fun it was meant to be a fun piece um yeah. and then i find out on this call this afternoon that the, they don't even have like their kids are not on in facilities period um which then goes to california schools portland state um you know you live basically on the washington border i live in washington eastern washington's starting to get i mean governor Inslee over here like the Big 12 or the big sky schedule this year could literally be Montana, Montana state, Idaho, Idaho state, Weber, NAU. Um, but yeah, it could be, it, it's going to be weird. And that's why in one of my comments on the piece, I just told somebody was like, well, that's just silly playing Montana twice. And I was like, I, I hate to break to people. It's a silly year. You got to come up with silly ideas. If you want 11 games. And then I brought up maybe 11, we don't want 11 games. Maybe nine is fine. Maybe just playing eight in conference is good, but um so that is interesting. She brought that up. Portland State may be out because if you're still in phase one and I'm living in Washington in phase two and I know I'm worried about Eastern, like if you're still in phase one and training camp supposed to start in two weeks, two and a half weeks. Ah, yeah. Yikes. Eastern, Eastern can't have groups of larger than five right now yeah. based off Spokane County. So yeah. I mean – so I guess I probably shouldn't have thrown Eastern under the bus there, but the whole point being our Idaho announced first and they took risk by announcing first. Um, and if look, if you're, I'm just going to presume for a second that they had the right kind of guidance uh, to say that what they said was feasible was feasible. They yeah. did the kind of things that some people are upset about in this region. They said, Hey, you got to have masks. Um, they said, you know, did the rule about no re-entry. Um, so, you know, if you're going to do a season, they, and they had, you know, 12 feet of space between people. Um, so if you're going to have a season, you know, we did the things, we announced the things that you would need to have based off what, you know, most available research says. And yeah. In this region, some of that stuff's not popular. Um, I will certainly say that uh, Terry Golick has much more bravery than the mayors where I live in terms of what she's announcing. So I got to say, I'm from what I've heard so far, I'm I'm pretty happy that we have her on board. And I'd say, I mean, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here on this Um, because, you know, nobody knows us. And so I'm trying to keep all of our stuff out of this as much as possible. But if you're honestly telling me no matter where you stand on the masks, no mask, vaccine, no vax. If you're a college football fan and the only thing you have to do is not leave at halftime and wear a mask, like, are you seriously telling me that you will not attend a college football game because of that? Like, that's fine. You do you. I'm not going to judge you for that. But I'm saying, like, for me, 
like there was a joke about these people wearing like basically like tents, like bubble boy. You could put me in a bubble and then I will go to college football. Like you could, whatever you want me to wear, I will wear it to be able to be in attendance safely at a college football game this year. So yeah, the fact that it's just masks, no reentry, and I can't sit within 12 feet of a different party. Like that's fine. Like I don't want to sit next to, you know, smelly Tony and Sally who were eating chili all out on the tailgate the whole time. Anyways, I'd rather have 12 feet between me and them. So like it doesn't change anything for me. I, people that thought you're going to be able to go to college football without a mask this year, like, I just the shocking to me. And she brought up though, that that's one of the things it's funny that you brought up. They came out first because they said that people were giving them grief for being so silent for a while. And she brought up, we didn't want to seem panicked. We didn't want to seem misinformed. And she goes, some of the people on my staff were very like, we need to get this out. People are asking. And Terry said like, no, I think it's more important that we put out the right information at the right time. And so they took a very strategic approach, made sure everything was right. They had it worded the way they wanted it to. And that's why they released it. And then you just go show what she was saying that I do honestly feel all, which is weird for Idaho. I feel like we are more prepared and ahead of the curve than most teams in the country right now in terms of this, which we are so used to being behind the eight ball on every single decision ever. It just goes to show that I'm really, this pandemic might show that Terry is absolutely the right person. And we have some benefits to us like Eastern Lynn Hickey's a good AD, but she's got to deal with, installing a new turf, raising money because they're in the middle of a financial like infighting. Like t- Terry just gets to focus on really this and some other issues, obviously. But um, I don't know, I'm very happy with the leadership. I think they've handled everything great to this point. I have faith they're going to do this in the safest way possible. Um, and you know what? If we're being honest, I don't think we're going to get 5,100 people in a game anyways. So that attendance number is already higher than it needs to be. You can probably make it 3,000. Between people that will feel safe in a game this year and people that are willing to buy tickets, like especially who an abbreviated season that might have four games within five weeks at, in the Kibbe Dome, like, I don't know. I, I'm happy. That's all I'm saying. Like, Terry, thank you. I, I like what the university's put out. I have faith in you guys, um, no matter how this season turns out right now. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm content. Sorry, I really filibustered there for a second. <laughs> no, dude, it's fine. Again, we've, you know, we've spent some time on this show uh, talking about, like, coaches, let's say, uh, coaches who shall remain nameless, that we've at times been frustrated with. And I, I just want to say, say with, you know, we're, we're trying to focus on turning the corner from last year. It is just, it's a breath of fresh air to be able to talk about the, you know, the administration here and go over that, you know what, they did their homework. They, they put together a plan. Um, They were, you know, brave. They were, yeah, exactly. They were cautious enough to make sure things seemed reasonable. So it's not like just announcing them we're going to cancel the next day. She did bring up that they did it before and better than Boise State. So I also like that fire from her. Like, uh, OTG. Beat, beat Idaho State, too. Idaho State yeah. has said they have their protocols set and haven't announced, but, you know, Idaho was out, out and said it. So, yeah. uh, you know, we we just got to keep our fingers crossed that, you know, like we said on the show earlier, if until there's no fall season, there's a fall season. Yeah. So and that's how we're you know, treating this for people that are like, why are you previewing in case you didn't notice half your teams in the top 25 aren't even competing anymore until we, which is why we're not covering them. But until we're told those other 25 teams, we just talked about it in place are not playing. We're going to cover it. 
like we did. And guess what? If we do this all again in December, Brian and I are not going to be complaining. We get to talk and get excited about football twice. So exactly. and, and until it's gone, it's done and dusted, we're going to act like it's not. Because the last thing we want to do is say, no reason to preview for you guys. The season's not going to happen. And then, boom, week one, we're playing football. And we're like, oh, we did no covering of the team. So if anything, you just got to hear things twice and things will change. But um, that's basically it. Cup of Joe recap. Um, one more thing before closing the bar, our new favorite segment, the transfer, transfer portal. portal. We actually have some news in the transfer portal. And I'm curious if your news is my news. Uh, uh, the, possibly. I'll let you go first on I'll okay. let you know if it's not my news. So the activity in the transfer portal, Professor now, Chuck Staben, has, there's no news to my knowledge about him entering into the transfer portal as in he has a presidency he's looking at but he did but he did get a little light um, on the caves and Prater show where he went on and talked about how uh, what he actually thinks some schools may do is something Idaho did uh, towards the end of his time which is you add a few non-scholarship programs because that increases athletic department revenue, and university revenue uh, through increased tuition from students who wouldn't be going there otherwise. Uh, We've seen some schools have cut programs like Southern Utah cut men's and women's tennis. Uh, A ton of schools have cut men's and women's tennis because that is the title nine thing. Plus it's a non-revenue sport, but uh, our man Chuck Staben got to go over something that we very well may see, um, you know, in the next few years of instead of cutting programs, because that does ultimately hurt the bottom lines of university in terms of tuition dollars lost, uh, having a few non-scholarship programs, uh, you know, maybe something like in Idaho, obviously there's title nine stuff, but he didn't say this, but like, you know, like lacrosse could be a non-scholarship sport. And that would be, yeah. I think, positive for our school. It'd be positive for a lot of schools in this region. Yeah. We're picking up the only school out west that does it is Denver and they're always in the final. I mean, they're doing scholarships, but yeah, I, as a former lacrosse person, I've been saying that forever that when I'm a bajillionaire, uh, me and another one of my buddies literally said our donation to the athletics was going to be sponsoring scholarships for lacrosse but uh i'm far away from that and uh as we're cutting sports that is probably a sport that you're not likely to see scholarships unless it becomes a major sport here in the it's going to basically be the sports where professional leagues are going to sponsor sports and then the whatever else you got to do for title nine is going to fill in. So like maybe women's swimming, um, golf, et cetera. But like if you have baseball, you're going to play baseball. If you have basketball, you're going to play basketball, football, you're going to play football. But yeah, if you have racquetball, you're probably going to drop racquetball. Most of the Olympic sports that don't have professional leagues, I expect to see being dropped here shortly. Terry Golick did also mention they are not planning on dropping sports. If anything, they're looking at ways to possibly add sports. So Those teams are off the chopping block for now. And circling back to the transfer portal, because that's the interest point. Yes. Listeners, you've got to be stoked that Chuck Staben's getting a second wind of publicity because if he's able to. Yeah. I mean, if he can get a couple, if you know, if he can get a couple articles or something like that written, maybe some schools that um, 
or I don't know, lower tier where athletics, uh, they have like more of the Ivy league profile. I don't mean prestige, but it's in like the Ivy league is much less concerned about sports than, you know, let's say university of Idaho is, uh, you know, he gets a couple of glowing headlines like that, uh, looking like a guy who has, you know, priorities and is looking at budgets and all that. Maybe he actually does enter the transfer portal and we can have a celebratory send off. Yeah. And not to mention out of that transfer portal, Jeff Caves has left the Treasure Valley and is now down in Dallas, Texas. So we did lose um, one just lover of Idaho football down there in the center of the universe. Uh, just always a fan of ours. Never said anything negative. Never took crack shots at us. Uh, just a real stand-up guy down there on the radio. Shipped off to Boise or out of Boise. Good riddance. Um, but, yeah, Jeff Caves did enter the transfer portal and has left. So one last Bronco on the radio down there. Maybe uh, I'm just thinking of a guy who might have been on the radio and TV up in Spokane who's might be a good ad. I'm just saying. <laughs> that little Dennis Patchen. Little Dennis Patchen down in Boise. I'd be all aboard the Dennis Patchen in Boise trade. The oh, yeah. uh, Who's that other guy? He's on, it's Jeff Caves and Mike Prater, right? Yeah. yeah. Prater and Patchen. That's got a ring to it. Peace word. <laughs> yeah. All right. Closing the bar. Um, thank you, everybody. Make sure you check out Sam Herter. We will be back in two weeks. Um, that's uh, on 8-6, so August 6th, for our Big Sky preview. We're going to have Taylor Barton on of, um, God, just about everything. Uh, most of you probably know him for being um, one of the commentators for Root Sports for the Big Sky Game of the Week. He also does a ton of stuff in the Northwest for quarterbacks and high school football players, like the Quarterback Alliance. Um, he used to do Northwest Index, I believe it was. Uh, he does uh, seven on seven passing academy. Just he knows so much. Uh, we meant to ask Sam about CJ McCollum. Oh well, but a guy we can't ask will be Taylor Barton. So make sure you tune in. That'll be fun. Um, I mean, the guy covers the F or the Big Sky for Root Sports. So it'll be fun to talk to him and a little maybe get a little bit insight on how Root Sports does things and maybe get him to drop if uh, how they're going to do it for 2020. But um, we got that. The Big Sky Media Days moved up to Thursday, the 23rd, 24th, 23rd and 24th. Um, we'll be doing a watch along. So tune in 9 a.m. Mountain Time or Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Mountain Time um, on this YouTube channel right here. If you're watching us, uh, we'll be hosting it or head on over to FCS Fans Nation on Facebook. We'll also be live streaming it there. It's going to be Big Sky Podcast Network personalities popping in all throughout, kind of watching the Big Sky Commissioner's address and kind of all that stuff that goes on with a virtual kickoff. Um, so we'll have people from Grizz Fan, R&R CatCast, NAU, Eagle Power Hour. Um, some of the FCS Fans Nation guys have the invite. We'll see if they pop on. Um, so it should be fun. You'll be able to interact with us and just pretty much turn on Pluto TV and watch us. Brian, I don't know. Were you planning on making either day one or day two? We haven't really talked about it. I'm going to make part of it. I know that. Right. That's the goal. I'll be on the whole time, but everybody else is going to pop in when Montana's talking or Idaho or, you know, whatever their teams are. So hopefully you guys will do the same. Um, yeah, then on the 27th, we have an Idaho preview pending. Come on. We can safely play a season by then. Uh, and then we don't have a week one opponent anymore, which is uh, – I don't know. That kind of, I just looked at that. That kind of throws off our week one preview. Maybe we just go by weekly until that point because that will be weekly. Um, we'll find it out. That's a long way away. That's the beginning of September. Um, but Terry Golick did. 
purpose to say no comment or what her, I believe her exact quote was, we didn't talk about what I say when I'm not allowed to answer um, on when she asked about and then took a very sny like sip of her coffee. But um, on if they had been talking to anybody to replace week one and week three games and who. So it makes me sound like there's at least been phone calls being placed and maybe something close to being announced. But we'll see. We're not going to speculate. But either way, week one's up in the air. We're up in the air for week one. That's what we got. Make sure you follow us at Tubs at the Club on Twitter. You can find me at Chris underscore P underscore Hammond on Twitter. You can find Brian at Brian Marceau. That's M-A-R-C-E-A-U. Got it. It's easy in my head compared to seeing it out. But uh, that's it. Uh, We'll see you guys uh, possibly on Thursday and Friday. If not, we'll see you in two weeks for our Big Sky preview. Oh, it's time for the best band in all the land. Sound of Bido. Play us out. Go Vandals. Go Vandals.